Welcome to Watch Therefore. Our Savior Jesus told us to watch for His coming, and the signs that He spoke of are all around us, shouting, Watch Therefore, and be ready. So join me, Dove Schwartz, as we learn to watch and prepare for the coming of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now today's program was recorded at Calvary Chapel Beth Shalom in Pearland, and I'd like to invite all of our listeners in the Houston area to join us at Calvary Chapel in Pearland, where the Bible is taught line upon line, chapter upon chapter, book upon book, where prayer is a priority and where fellowship is something we experience together as Jesus our Savior walks in our midst by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, Ray Jensen is the new pastor at Calvary Chapel Beth Shalom, and the Lord has raised him up to lead this congregation in this critical hour just before the coming of Messiah Jesus. Listen today, and we pray you're blessed. I'm sorry, Exodus 17 and verse 1. Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped in Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? And so Moses cried out to the Lord saying, What shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel. Also, take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, so he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah, because of the contention of the children of Israel, and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? So, again, like we saw in chapter 16, they're getting thirsty from the traveling, and there's no water again. We've already been through this part here, right? And like we also saw before, this was to test them. This was not to, to see what they would do. God already knew that. This was to test them to work that Egyptian thinking out of them, the renewing of your mind. Again, they complained against Moses. They blamed him for taking them out of Egypt. But their accusations against Moses are now getting worse. They argued so badly they were about to stone him. That's no light matter. Now, such quarreling, Moses said, was putting the Lord to the test. That is, they were challenging the Lord or trying his patience rather than trusting him. I would rather trust them than try him. (laughs) We saw that God tested the people in Exodus 16.4 when he only allowed them a certain quota of manna each day. Only get so much. Some people tried to gather more than that, and it rotted, and so he's trying to test the people on their trust with him. I want to show you in Deuteronomy 6 and 16 real quick, where it says, You shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Massa, which is where they are now. And Jesus iterated the same thing in Luke 4.12 when he said to Satan, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. We don't test God. God tests us, but we don't test him. He's God and we're not. It took me the first 20 some odd years of my life to figure that out, that he's God and I ain't. 
But even though the Israelites tested him, God was patient with them. That's what's unique about God. Even when I mess up, if I'm his, he's patient with me. You know, you don't take your kids out in the backyard and kill them for the first little thing they do. You're patient with them. You'll work with them. So God was patient with them. He told him Moses to take the staff, which he struck the Nile River back in chapter 7, and to strike the rock at Horeb, and he said water would come from it. Now, as we saw, Moses used this staff to hold it over the sea before it parted. Before it parted. And I want to make, I want to pause and cash in on that real quick again. Like I said last week, if the water's parted and then somebody said, hey, Moses, check out the water, they're parted. Oh, let me grab my stick real quick and then hold it up. Well, that's ridiculous. That doesn't show anybody that I expect something to happen here. Well, Moses, nothing's happening yet. Okay, that's fine. I expect something. That's faith. He's holding his staff now as an illustration of God that people would take notice he was expecting something. Now, the staff, the staff had no power in it. It did, the staff itself didn't change the river to blood. It didn't part the seas. What was it? It was a representation to the people. When they see Moses hold the staff up, they go, oh, something's about to happen. They recognize that staff is like God's about to do something. It's kind of like an indicator, red flag. Hey, guys, watch. That's what it represented to them. It was a symbol of power. And so for Moses to hold it before God's mighty works would have indicated to the Israelites that holding this staff was a symbol of trust in God. Hey guys, we have a problem. We don't have water. I understand. Here comes the staff of God. Of God. Let's start trusting in the Lord. And they will see him do something with that staff. And they go, oh yeah, we, we forgot the Lord again, didn't we? So by Moses striking the rock, the Lord was pleased to help the people with water. He's pleased to help people. The Lord God is pleased to help you. Oh, but Ray, you don't know that problem I got. Hey, the Lord is pleased to help you. Don't test him though. Cry out to him. Big difference. Did you know that if you're his, if you have given yourself in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ and given your life to him, then you are his. You are family. And therefore God wants to help you and provide for you and sustain you. You ever had family needed help? You'd help them, right? We're in the family of God now. He's dad. He's going to help you. That's what I like about God. One of, one of the many things. So trust in him. There's no need to run from God thinking he's out to get you. God loves you. That was one of the hardest parts for me to understand growing up is God's love for me. But I messed up. God doesn't approve of what I'm doing. So I better not have any relationship with God. I thought he was going to knock me down. He kind of did in a way, but he did it lovingly to pull me back, right? I know y'all have similar stories. I think sometimes people forget that, that about God, that he cares for us. Sure, he has wrath against our sin, but that's why he sent Jesus. That's why he sent Jesus Christ, so that his wrath would go to Jesus instead of me, instead of you. So be, if you're his and submit to him, it goes to Jesus Christ. But even in God's action of taking out His wrath for our sins on Jesus, that's still a loving action. doesn't come down on us. The God of Israel is a loving God. God literally wants you to be okay and be provided for. Oh, I don't think I'm being provided for. How, how, how am I going to get by next week? How am I going to get by next month? God wants you to be provided for. Again, I was teaching this, uh, something like this, in a, in a retirement home. This woman must have been passed in her 90s. She must have just realized that for the first time, and she almost lost it. 
realizing that God cared about her and wanted to help her and protect her and, and give to her. So anyway, he gives a way for Israel to be taken care of, even though this is several times now that they got gripey with him. Nobody likes anybody to be gripey with them. <laughs> How to exercise patience in that, but that's what God has done. And so Moses called the place by two names, Masah, because they tested God, and Meribah, because they quarreled with God. What a way to get people to thinking about what they just done, right? By naming the places according to what you did wrong there. What you did wrong there, that's what we're going to call it. Now, I got to thinking about this. Can you imagine you're at the store and your kids get fussy with you at the grocery store? And so instead of calling it Kroger's, you start calling it Fussy. Come on, kids, let's load up and head to Fussy. I mean, this is what happened here, right? Moses called it according to what they did. Or they get whiny at Walmart. Honey, I'm headed to whiny. Any of me pick up anything? You know, it's just just funny when you think about it in that context, right? Or or I could just go on with that. But anyway, um, I had it. Okay, I'll say it. Uh, Or your kids get snotty with you at the restaurant. Man, I feel like a snotty burger tonight. Anyway. If that's not a continual reminder, I don't know what is. But anyway, um, so <laughs> if your kids get cranky at, here at church, please don't call us Cranky Chapel Pearland, okay? <laughs> Moses called the place Masa because they tested God in Meribah for quarreling. That's what those mean. <laughs> Moses wanted this lesson to stick. He wanted it to stick what you did here. He didn't want them to forget because he didn't want them to repeat it. He didn't want to go through this again. They're about ready to kill him with stones. You don't want to go through that. So I can see, you know, you don't want people to stone you. I can see why Moses did name these places like this. So that's what happened there when they tested God and got quarrelsome. Exodus 17 and 8. Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, choose us some men and go out. Fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy. So they took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called its name, the Lord is my banner. For he said, because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Amalekites uh, of Amalek here, they were nomads in the desert. And they attacked Israel to try to prevent them from passing through, I guess, what they considered to be their territory. This is our place. You're not coming through here. And they attacked them. But in doing so, they tried to oppose the plan of God. And God took this very, very seriously. This is God's people taking them to the promised land. Quick parallel real quick. Those of you who are saved in Jesus Christ, we are traveling through to a vision, to a promised land, which is eternal life. God has it 
very seriously to protect you from those who would come and thwart you from finishing that journey as he would have you do it. And so I just want us to consider that. He's got angels that watch over us. You know, like I said, I had that picture of that guy who's studying his, his Bible with angels all the way around him holding swords. You know, it was, it was a picture of a representation. God will protect, okay? But there's a way he does it. And as we saw here, let me, let me continue. He took this seriously. But even before this incident, we see that in Genesis 36, 12, it says that the Amalekites are descendants of Esau, which is Israel's brother. I got to digging. I thought, this is getting interesting. So in Malachi 1.3 says, Yet Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. This is God saying this. God doesn't hate anybody. Right there in Malachi 1.3. Yes, he does. When people tell you God doesn't hate, they're just exposing they don't read the word. Now we have to remember God does not hate like we hate. And he sure don't love like we love either. It's much holier than that. But he does. he did have a problem with Esau. Now, some of you have been to our Bible study group. You may remember the story from 1 Samuel 15 when Saul was rejected as being king by God. God told Saul to wipe out the Amalekites, kill them all, every one of them, because they attacked Moses and Israel as they came out of Egypt. Let me show you real quick. 1 Samuel 15 two. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Put on the brakes just a minute. Some people might be thinking, man, this ain't the God I thought that was, that was around. That's not the God I serve. America, you need to get to know the God of the Bible. God ordered this, a sinful people. America, as sinful as going on out there, we got the world's second largest, I think it is, abortion clinic right here in Houston. And what are people doing? Are they there praying? We go there and pray. I don't see many people. Of all the churches that we have, where are they? It's like it's no big deal. A number of things going on. I mean... Now we're arguing about a presidential election of which bathroom we can use. It's getting sick. God takes this sin very seriously. And with these Amalekites, he told Saul to wipe them out. But Saul did not obey God. Do you remember this? He didn't obey God because he spared Agag, the Amalekite king, and he kept the best of their livestock. What did God tell him to do? Take them all out. And so, because Saul didn't do as God told him, Samuel is sent to tell Saul that God has rejected him from being king of Israel. Samuel's about the only guy that could stick it to Saul the way it really was. So, that's when Samuel uh, turned to walk away from Saul. When, he, when God told him to tell him he's rejected as being king, he turned to walk away. Saul grabbed his robe and it tore it off, right? And so, that's when Samuel said, uh, just like you tore my robe, God has torn the kingdom from you. Because you did not do as you were told. And so this is the Amalekite attack here in Exodus 17 that made God so angry. And the utter barbarism of this attack is explained later in Deuteronomy. I I wasn't satisfied with just knowing that much. I had to find out more what this attack was like. Why did God get that mad? So in Deuteronomy 25, remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt. How he met you on the way and attacked your rear ranks. All the stragglers at your rear when you were tired and weary, and he did not fear God. Therefore it shall be, 
when the Lord your God has given you rest from your enemies all around, in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess as an inheritance, that you will blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven, you shall not forget. There where it says Amalek attacked the stragglers at the rear. That's what really got me. The people at the back was mostly made up of tired women and children who lagged behind. And so this attack here is an attack of cowardice against God's people because they didn't fear God, as it says. They attacked the weak in the back. Now, many more times in the Bible, you can find that the Amalekites attacked Israel again and again and again. They were a continual problem for a long time. As I said, generation to generation, they're always Israel's big problem to them. They were responsible for repeated destruction of the Israelites' uh, water and food supply a number of times. In fact, they raided again in 1 Samuel 30, where they burned the village of Ziklag, took the women and children, and took two of David's wives. You may remember David and his guys, they had to go in there to where they ran off to and rescue the hostages back out again. And so, also, here's another one real quick. In the book of Esther is the guy named Haman. He wanted to kill all the Jews in Persia, if you remember the book of Esther. Why? Why did he want to kill all the Jews in Persia? The Bible calls him Haman the Agagite, meaning he descended from Agag, the Amalekite king. The Amalekites were some seriously evil people that really had it out for the Jews, which is why God commanded Saul to go finish them all off. They were cowardly, murdering terrorists is what they were. And so here in Exodus 17, it seems they were trying to run off the Israelites from the, this pleasant oasis area that they were coming into. They wanted to secure that territory for themselves. This is ours. And, and they attacked the stragglers at the, at the back, very cowardly. And so they're being attacked. Moses calls on Joshua, who we see mentioned now for the first time. The first time we hear about Joshua. Now Joshua, that guy... He was one tough puppy. I mean, you don't want to mess with Joshua. I can remember stories about that guy. He could really do it, right? And even though he went into battle with great strength and as tough as he was, the victory was only won in such a way that would demonstrate God's power when Moses held his hands up. I'm telling you, I don't care how tough you think you are or how awesome or bad you are, God's tougher, okay? And we have to depend on him. Even though Joshua is in here commanding this, this attack, it was still dependent on God's power. So Moses held up the staff of God. It's the symbol of the Israelites of God's power. Now Moses used the staff before, like I said, to strike the Nile, to turn it to blood, to strike the rock at Horeb, to bring water out of it, and now to raise it up before their enemy in battle. Now the point of this was to show the Israelites that God's power was all they needed to depend on. Friends, God's power, that's all you need. It's true. The Lord is all they need. And he set it up in such a way that any time Moses lowered the staff, they would start to lose the fight. But if the staff was up, they started to win. Friends, the power of God is what we should trust our lives with. So anytime you get to a point in your life where you let God's power down in your life by fear or doubt, then you know what you're doing? You're subjecting yourself to defeat. You're subjecting yourself to defeat, just like in this situation. You know, the attack of our enemy is constant, and oftentimes it gets the best of even good believers, and that's why we need to look at the power of God for victory. We always have to look at the power of God for victory. As Dove Schwartz always says, he says, we don't fight for victory, we fight from victory. 
I'm so glad I heard that from him. The victory's already taken care of. It's already been done. We don't have to go out there and fight as though we think we have some part in obtaining it. It's already there. We just need to tap that power. You can trust in the Lord God. His power is great. The world hates us. It hates us. I was talking with Jews last night at Passover. Nobody hates anybody like the world hates Jews. Oh, my gosh. And I got to hear some firsthand stories from some of them of the things they face. I mean, we Christians who are believers in Jesus, we have it pretty bad. But the believers in Messiah Jesus who are Jewish, pray for them. But the nature of this fight was to demonstrate something to Israel, to trust in God. We cannot conquer by swords, guns, or money, but by victory in the power of God that comes from on high. It comes down from the Lord. And this is obtained through faith and prayer. Prayer, prayer. I can't say prayer enough. Prayer. Which may be why Moses had to hold the, the rod up with his hands. In a posture of prayer, of praise. There's so much symbolism in this, right? It illustrated a picture of prayerfulness, faith, and God's power. Friends, when you're being attacked by the enemy... Raise your hands up in prayer. Get in a prayerful stance. Look to the trust in the Lord God. God, you've got this. I don't. (laughs) That's why it looks so bad to me. Because I don't see the way out. But you do. Israel couldn't see the way out when the military was coming down. And they had the big thing of water right there. They saw no way out. But God blew a way through, didn't He? Isn't that cool? Trust in Him. He will fight for you. And He can strike your enemy down. Now this was a lesson for Israel and us. That in our conflicts with this ungodly world, the strength for victory can only be gained through the lifting up of our hands in prayer to Almighty God. So James tells us in chapter 5 of his writing writing, that the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. It's very powerful and effective. And I want to show you in 2 Corinthians 10 and 3, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Friends, what I want to tell you, prayer is a weapon of war. It is a weapon of war, and we should use it. Whenever the enemy starts attacking you, don't slide off into fear and doubt. That's when you get beat. Lift up your faith in the power of God and punch that cowardly enemy right in the face with a good prayer. And you know, we meet every Tuesday just to pray. And I'd like to see more people join us. Some that can say, well, I I can pray home alone. Sure you can, but it's not going to be as effective as it will be with the rest of us. Did Moses say, I can hold the staff up by myself? He had to have others be with him to strengthen him or the battle would have been lost. Thanks for listening today. And please join me every day, Monday through Friday, unless our Lord Jesus returns for us this week. This program is listener-supported and depends on tax-deductible donations to stay on the air. Give to Watch Therefore and contact me through our website at watchtherefore.tv. You can also send tax-deductible donations to Watch Therefore, P.O. Box 564, Pearland, Texas, 77588. Again, by the web, watchtherefore.tv, and mail, Watch Therefore, P.O. Box 564, Pearland, Texas, 77588. You can also call me right now at 713-624-0943. That's 713-624-0943. Keep watching for Messiah Jesus. 
This is John Peake with Israeli Self-Defense and Fitness. We are the new breed of martial arts and fitness designed to give you the understanding and skills to defend yourself and your family against an attack or threat by an armed or unarmed attacker or multiple attackers. We're an international organization led by former Israeli soldiers with a curriculum that is simple and effective. You owe it to yourself, family, and loved ones to be able to defend against any assault should the need arise. We are followers of Jesus Christ, led by His Holy Spirit to provide a safe and functional training environment to develop life-saving skills and increase your physical fitness beyond what you may think is possible. We offer group, private, and corporate training. Call today and mention KKHT to get a 10% discount on your membership. Remember, you owe it to yourself and loved ones not to be a victim. Visit us on the web at IsraeliSelfDefense.net or call 713-53-TRAIN. That's 713-538-7246 to get started today.